Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. Well, good morning. Uh, if I've not met you, uh, my name is David Cumbie. I'm the lead pastor here at Apostles. And uh, especially if, you, if this is your first time with us, we're so glad that you're here. Over the summer, we've been going through a uh, sermon series on the book of Romans. And we're coming to the end of that. We'll, we'll tackle the first half of chapter 16 this week and then the second half next week. And so I'm excited to, to dive into uh, this first part of uh, chapter 16. If you wanna open a Bible up, Encourage you to do that. There should be some in the seat backs near you. You can follow along as we look at God's word together this morning, 16, Romans 16, 1 through 16. Um, now, as you're turning there, I just want to uh, kind of connect uh, what we're going to talk about this morning really to uh, part of our vision here at Apostles. Here at Apostles, we uh, talk about being a community following Jesus in Houston. And when we talk about community, we talk about doing that as a family. And I really believe over the last few years, it's become increasingly more difficult to actually live out that vision for all of the church, not speaking specifically about apostles, but I think just the church in general uh, has experienced real challenges to living out this call to be family in Christ. And more desperately, uh, I think it's needed now, maybe than it has been in years prior. So this, this understanding that we have that we are a community, that we are a family. Uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn once wrote these famous lines. You may have uh, heard this before, but he said, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties, but right through every human heart. The line between good and evil passes right through every human heart. And I mentioned that in the context of a conversation about family, because what's happened in our cultural moment is that people have come to increasingly see uh, life more and more as a battle between good and evil, but they've really turned it into a battle between good people on this side and evil people on this side. It's a battle between good people and evil people. And the result has been deepening tribalism in our culture that leads people to reject and shame those outside of their own group, right? So it's not a family, it's a group, it's a tribe, and you're either in or you're out. And so lines get drawn, and if you dare cross that line, we know what happens. You risk public, relentless criticism or worse, right? That's where we are in our, our cultural moment. And so what's happened is you know, neighbors who would have been close friends, irrespective of political differences, right, now, uh, cancel each other. Uh, I don't know about your family, but you know, there are different political views within uh, our own family, right? And it used to be you could sit down and you just, you avoided those at dinner, right? And now instead of avoiding those topics, we avoid each other. And so this tribalism has kind of bled into every part of our relationships. And so we have family on the one side and we have tribalism on the other. And I just wanna look at those in contrast uh, columnist David Brooks calls this tribalism the dark twin of genuine community. And I think that's a helpful way to think about it. He, he draws these comparisons out. He says, community is based on mutual love, 
Whereas tribalism is based on a mutual or shared hate of something else. Community is about what we are for. Tribalism, on the other hand, is about what we are against. Community is about generosity. It's about honor, celebration of the other. Tribalism is a zero-sum battle for scarce resources, survival, kill, or be killed. And so in the church, in Christ, God places the solitary into a family. That's what the gospel does through faith, by grace, in Jesus. Whereas radical individualism in our culture actually sets the lonely into tribes. And so there's a stark contrast between what our culture offers and what the gospel offers. What our culture offers is tribalism, not true community, not family. Now at Apostles, we, we talk about living uh, in community, following Jesus as a family. And I do think this is a moment that the church has a, a unique opportunity to offer those who feel lonely and cut off and trapped in tribes to experience genuine community, to experience what it means to be family. And that means more than just being welcoming, which we are, we're a very welcoming group, more than being kind, we're a very kind uh, community. But I think it means seeing others uh, within our community, really seeing them as family and living together as family. And that is only possible by the radical transforming love of Jesus Christ by his grace and by his truth. And so this isn't just another tribe, right? This is a true family because it's in Christ. In Romans, Paul has been casting this vision over and over, this vision of God's family. Now, he doesn't always use the language of family, but what he's done is he's showed us this picture, right, in Rome of the church as this diverse community, diverse in every way, ethnicity, gender, social class. It consisted of Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians. And amidst this diversity, there was unity. Very diverse, but totally unified by something that transcends race and rank and sex. And Paul makes that abundantly clear in his letter to the Galatian church in chapter three, verse 28. This is what he says. For neither is there Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Diversity in unity in Christ. That's the vision that he's given us. So what bonds people together? What bonds people together in the community of the church, this family uh, that draws people from different tribes and tongues and nations is Jesus and at Jesus alone. And so in Romans 16, 1 through 16, Paul lists off 26 different names, or people. He doesn't name them all, but he lists off 26 different people, uh, 24 by name. And it's a lot of people that we've never heard of that we might have difficulty pronouncing their names. Uh, in fact, before the service, someone saw that we were going to be reading this passage, and they, uh, they, they wanted to make sure I had the passage right. Because why would we just read a bunch of names and talk about that this morning? But that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to look at these, this list of names, because I think here in this list of names is something we don't want to miss. We don't want to just skip over, which we might be tempted to do, because these greetings, I think, are actually highlighting what Paul has been preaching, that he, he actually practices what he's been preaching all through the letter of Romans, that unity and diversity wasn't just an idea. It was something he and his followers, followers of Jesus, were living out together. And we see that 
in this list of names. And so this morning what I wanna do is I wanna highlight just two simple truths from Romans 1, or 16, 1 through 16 uh, that can encourage us living as a family. And it's hard work living as a family. We need encouragement. We need a vision to do that. And so to see ourselves, to live as community, uh, the community we're called to be as family, uh, as friends, as neighbors, uh, and to do that in, in a way that draws others in to that family and to Christ. So how to be a family of unity and diversity. So here's the first uh, point. Simply is this, that the church is called to be a loving family. The church is called to be a loving family. It's not optional. It's central to our call as followers of Jesus. Now, again, let's be honest. When you begin to read a list of names like this in the Bible, most of us, our eyes kind of start to glaze over, right? And maybe you've encountered this in the Old Testament, the genealogies, right? These just list of name after name, so-and-so beget, so-and-so beget, so-and-so. And you see that in the Gospels, right? The beginning of the Synoptic Gospels, you see these genealogies, these connections of names. And I think there's an important connection between those genealogies and actually these greetings that we see in a lot of the epistles, and that we see here in Romans. I think it's helpful because in the Old Testament and in the, New, in the gospel with the genealogies, what we have is this revelation of God's faithfulness, right, down through the ages, through generations, his faithfulness uh, to his plan of salvation through the Messiah. That's what we see in these genealogies. That's why they're included, so that we can see God's faithfulness to save the world through the Messiah. And I think these greetings actually function in a similar way. All these names we get, they reveal God's faithfulness and how the gospel of Jesus Christ is reaching the world, not through a bloodline any longer, right? But along spiritual lines, not through a natural family, but through a supernatural family that's being created in Christ. And so uh, I, I thought of uh, a moment in the life of the church where I used to serve. We, before we moved here at Raleigh, we were at a church called Holy Trinity, and they would do an annual picnic and uh, started this tradition just before we left that at every annual picnic, they would take a, uh, a group photo of the whole church. And so hundreds of people would all kind of gather out on the lawn. Somebody had a drone, they'd send it up, and we'd all look up at the drone and, then, you know, one, two, three snapshot of the church. And it was, it was a family photo is what it was. And it felt like that, and it looked like that. You, oh, there's so-and-so, and there's such a, and you, you kind of, everybody get the picture at the end. And I thought of that because I think that's what Paul is giving us here, right? He's giving us a family photo. It's a snapshot with all these names that he's given to us. And it's a really beautiful moment in the letter of Romans. It's this family photo. And so just think about what Paul tells us. He doesn't just tell us names. He gives us little bits uh, of information. In, in particular, he tells us that they're family. And he uses the language of family. So, for example, in verse 1, he says what? I commend to you my sister, Phoebe. Look at verse 13. Greet Rufus who we think was the son of Simon of Cyrene. So just amazing being able to make all these connections around uh, the gospel in the New Testament. But Greek Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been what? Like a mother to me, all right? So he, he, this is Paul, very personal, very relational, beloved. Verse 14, uh, he says, greet all these people that Derek said. Uh, and, and the other brothers and sisters, right? and the other brothers and sisters with them. And then again, verse 17, beyond what we read, but I urge you, and what does he say? Brothers and sisters. And so this family language, right, over and over and over. And Paul, is he's just not trying to be sweet or cute here, and he's not introducing anything new. 
He's not, he's not introducing anything new. I think that's important. He's simply living into the call of Jesus to be family. Those words that we read from Matthew chapter 12. Who's my mother and my brothers and my sisters? These, and he points to his disciples. It's not obliterating the bloodline, the family, the natural family. It's elevating the spiritual family. Saying you're part of something bigger now that I'm creating. And what's beautiful is in this list, Paul includes men and women he includes slaves. He includes ranked officials within the Roman government. He includes Jews and Gentiles. He includes people who have pagan names, named after pagan gods. I mean, these are people who've had their lives changed and they become part of this family. And he calls them beloved. They're part of his family in Christ. And so Jesus is inviting us into his family, the family of God. And as a family, we share in moments of pain and happiness and grief and celebration, despite all the mess that comes with family, and we all know the mess that comes with family, right? Despite the fights and the hard lessons and the hard work it takes, what we need is family. We need this family. We are made to belong, to be part of something bigger, to know and be known and to be loved. We need this family of God. And so I love how at the end, Paul really drives on this idea of family with this little tag that he puts in verse 16. He says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Greet one another with a holy kiss. We read that and we think, awkward, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, I'm just pretty sure if we implemented this during the piece today, okay, a lot of you would not come back next week and I wouldn't blame you, Right? Uh, what is Paul talking about? Greet one another with a holy kiss. It doesn't make me any more comfortable that he puts the word holy in front of it. It's still, I'm still uncomfortable. So greeting people with a kiss, as you might have guessed, was fairly commonplace in a lot of parts of the ancient world, kind of like it is in parts of Europe today, right? So it would have been culturally normative. But Paul mentions this, uh, not just here in Romans, he mentions it in 1 Corinthians and 1 Thessalonians. And by the second century, what's interesting is early Christians in the church had actually incorporated this greeting one another with a kiss into their worship. So when they gathered, it was part of the liturgy, right? And actually settled into the place that we today would refer to as the peace. That time after we've listened to God's gospel proclaimed, and then we have the confession and the creed, and then we turn to one another and we exchange the peace. And it was incorporated into that moment in the gathered worship of God's people. In fact, Tertullian, writing in the second century, calls it the kiss of peace, right? So it gets brought in to the worship of the family of God. It's interesting, the way this became understood, Chrysostom, who was another early church leader, he says this about Romans 16 and this holy kiss. He says, this kiss mollifies and equalizes everyone. It banishes grievances and jealousy. Paul naturally directs them to kiss one another in this way, but he also sends them a kiss of greeting from the churches, from all the churches. In other words, it's what family does, right, in Paul's imagination. When you gather to worship, you exchange this kiss. Churches kiss one another, right, is what he's describing here. And the point is not about kissing, right? Uh, the point is that we should treat one another as family. It should be this intimate, intentional relationship. We should be in such a state of relationship with one another in Christ 
that we can genuinely, visibly, and tangibly communicate to one another that genuine affection and peace. And Paul says, like a kiss. So, relax. I'm not going to say we should start kissing each other, okay? Maybe it's a handshake, okay? Maybe it's a fist bump. Uh, Maybe it's a hug. The point is that we're not just being polite during the peace. We're not just polite as we go through life saying, hey, how's it going, and then moving on. Uh, With regularity and genuineness, we are reaffirming that we're family, and if there's something between us that keeps us from reaffirming that, then we need to work that out. We need to be reconciled. We need to resolve those things so that when we come to this room together and worship together, when we come to this table, the Lord Jesus, we can come to, to this time and to this table with a clear conscience, knowing that we're at peace in Christ and that we're at peace with one another because we're family. So church, I want to encourage you to look around. Look around this room. When I look around this room, I see family. And I want us to see family. Is this your family? Do you know one another? Are you intentional about getting to know one another? We've had a lot of new people coming into our community. Praise God. And we need to get to know each other. So I want to encourage us. Be intentional about that. Take somebody out to lunch today or one Sunday. Just grab them. Say, hey, we haven't had a chance to, to get to know each other. Can I, can I buy you lunch today? Or would you like to join us for dinner at our house this week? Right? And then I also want to ask, are you at peace with one another? You know, when families spend time together, conflict arises. Feelings get hurt. Things get said that shouldn't have been said. And we can hold grievances. And we can let those turn into resentments. And we don't want to do that. And so I want to encourage you to realize this is your family. And if there's things between you, seek one another out and be reconciled. Be reconciled. We're called to be a loving family in Christ. So that's, that's the first thing I think we see here in this list of names. And the second thing I think we see is that the church is called to honor one another in Christ. The church is called to honor one another in Christ. Paul isn't just listing random names to say, hey, right? Uh, this isn't just uh, your kind of random shout outs. It's amazing to me how his greetings actually he uses to bless and honor all the people that he names. Did you notice that? He doesn't just list names. He actually tells us something about each of those names. He honors them. Look at the greetings and notice. uh, I just made a short list of some of the things I saw that he chose to honor in them. He, He chooses to honor servanthood, right? Working hard to care for the church and the family. He talks about that a lot. Working hard, several of them, he mentions that. Phoebe, he calls a servant or a deacon. Uh, sacrifice for the sake of the church family. Suffering, being willing to go to prison, risking life and limb, he says, to help proclaim the gospel. Faithfulness to one another in the face of trial and persecution. Generosity of those willing to support the ministry uh, and, and to do so financially. So what do these things have in common? I would say these are all characteristics of Christ himself. It would be easy to misunderstand this as kind of merit-based praise, kind of dropped in here. But what Paul is honoring isn't about earning status or power. He's honoring the Christ-likeness of his brothers and sisters. Paul is calling out the grace of Christ in them and honoring not only them, but Christ by doing so. 
And so people get honored for all kinds of things in life, in our, in our offices, our, our schools, uh, in our neighborhoods. There's all kinds of things that people get honored for. But in the church, in the church, the greatest honor is for others to see Christ in us. The greatest honor is Christ's likeness. That's worthy of honor. And so looking at what Paul does here, I want us to ask the question, well, how do we honor Christ in one another? How do we do that? I think there's a lot of ways, but here Paul points us to one way very clearly that I, I want to encourage us to consider. We honor one another with praise. We honor one another with praise for one another. Paul includes these encouragements in a greeting that would have been read aloud to the church in Rome. So these greetings with their accompanying encouragements and praise would have been read aloud and probably would have been circulated to other churches after that. And so these were real people, real followers of Jesus that Paul wanted to publicly and specifically and personally praise before others. I recently uh, reread uh, The Five Love Languages. Any of y'all ever read that book? Ever heard of that book? If you haven't, I encourage you uh, to check it out. It's a great book by Gary Chapman. Uh, and, and in it, he, he writes this. He's talking about uh, words of affirmation, which is one of the love languages. This is what he says. He says, discovering that people are talking about you in a good way, right? In a good way makes any day better. With that in mind, look for ways to send words of affirmation through the grapevine. And so this is about husbands and wives, right? So he says through the grapevine that it might get back to your wife. Talk her up around other people when she's not around. Publicize her accomplishments and skills. Uh, tell others uh, about how incredible she is. Be careful, though, not to become that guy, right? That nobody, a guy can won't stop talking about his wife. Don't become that guy, that's what he says. But, but he goes on, he says, but remember, public affirmations go a long way towards filling your wife's love tank. And I just thought of that. Um, so, so one, that's a bonus, guys. So just hear that, you, you husbands in the room, hear that, walk in that, okay? It's just a bonus, okay? Because I really wanna talk about how I think this totally applies to the church. This totally applies to the church. That we would talk about one another behind one another's back by telling the good, right? I mean, so often churches are, are marred by gossip. If you've been around the church long enough, you, you may have been hurt by gossip. But what if our church was known for spreading compliments, for praising people behind their back? I mean, how good would it feel this week if you heard through the grapevine that someone else was praising God for Christ in you, praising God for what you've meant in their life, praising God for the way that you serve Christ's church and it got back to you? How encouraged would you be? To honor people, to do that, you have to pay attention. Right? You have to be paying attention. You have to see one another. You have to give thanks for one another. We need to see how the grace and the mercy of Jesus is at work in one another. And it takes a lot of time to make that happen. And it can be easy, I think. And just there's a lot of things that we have to do together to make this work, you know, just kind of checking the boxes and making things get done, make sure things get done. And I think in the midst of all, that can be easy to focus on our part, right, and, and forget the myriad of ways that God is blessing us through other sacrifice, through the encouragement of others and the love of others around us. And so let's honor one another and Christ in one another by praising one another. That's what Paul's showing us. So 
Maybe look for ways to do that uh, this week. Before we end, I, I do want to highlight just one more amazing way that Paul honors the family. And I think this warrants a special call out here. Paul honors women in the church. Paul honors women in the church. Notice, don't miss this, notice that in the series of greetings, right, before Paul honors anyone else in these greetings, he honors Phoebe. So what he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant, and in the Greek, that word is the same word for deacon, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but a servant or a deacon of the church at Sincre, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. It's a great honor. And help her in whatever she may need for you, for she has been a patron. In other words, she's been supporting the ministry of others, right? Uh, of many and of myself as well. Who is Phoebe? Well, from just these few words, we can tell a lot. Paul actually tells us uh, that she was a deacon. She was a servant. Now, the word here would, you know, you would be translated in the feminine, a deaconess. She's a deaconess in the church. Uh, and while the office of deacon would still be developing at this stage uh, into the ordained ministry that we know of today and that we would talk about today as Anglicans specifically, what's clear is that she is a leader in the church. She is absolutely a leader in the church. And that she, like the deacons identified in Acts 6, is coming along and assisting in the work of the apostles in the ministry of the church. She's a leader in Sincre. At the church there, she is absolutely essential. And so Phoebe has this incredibly important role in the church. We also know that she's a patron. She's a patron. What does that mean? It means she's financially supporting the ministry of the church out of her own personal means. That this church in Sincre is dependent in some degree on her faithfulness and financially giving. And so is Paul. He says, she supported me financially. She's clearly a woman of influence and means. And she's going to Rome to deliver this letter, which is another piece that reveals a lot about Phoebe. So Paul has sent this important letter, and who did he trust with that mission? Phoebe. He sends the letter with Phoebe. He sent her, and while we don't know for certain, what we do know that is it was common practice in the church for whoever took a letter, whoever delivered the letter, would be responsible for reading the letter. So just put all that together, right? So Phoebe is sent by Paul with great confidence as a deacon, a leader in the church, carrying this important document that she's going to now present to Rome, and she is going to stand before the congregation, and she's going to read this letter. She's going to read this letter before the church in Rome. And so here, here's, here's what I want to say. Whatever your view on women in ministry in the church what is absolutely undeniable here is that Paul is elevating this woman and honoring her as a partner in mission and as a minister in the gospel in the church. Full stop. Can't argue. He's absolutely doing that. And he actually goes further. He tells the church to honor her and to help her with whatever she needs as they receive her. Paul doesn't just honor her to just pile on, right? He honors seven other women in this list. He specifically identifies them in these greetings. Why this is important, and I'll end with this. <clears throat> I think this is important for three brief reasons. One, the church at different points in history has failed to honor women. The church has failed to do that, failed to honor their gifts, failed to honor their ministry, failed to honor their place in the church. 
And sadly, some of Paul's teachings about ministry in terms of the roles of women have often been used as an excuse for the marginalization and the abuse of women in the church. But Romans 16 pushes back hard against that and clarifies practice and preaching go together. This is what Paul believes. He highlights here that he fully affirms the ministry of women in the church. He goes out of his way here to explicitly honor numerous women right alongside men who are serving in the church. Two, the Bible, the Bible, not culture, ought to shape our views about the roles of men and women in ministry in the church. And it does, and it can. And here's an example. Paul is not writing in response to third wave feminism, right? So let's, let's not import things that Paul is not saying uh, from our culture. What he's doing is he's working out the natural implications of the gospel in honoring men and women because the gospel honors men and women. Sadly, cultural forces have made discussions about the role of women in the church more about rights than faithfulness to Christ and his word. And it's not about rights. If we want to know what it looks like to live and minister together as men and women in the church, we should look to the word of God. We should look to what Paul gives a vision for here in Romans. Third and last thing, our apostles' family. Our apostles' family is blessed beyond measure with faithful and gifted women who minister in our midst. And we need to affirm that and encourage that and honor them within our midst. We ought to honor them as Paul does, not because they're women, but because in the unique way that God has made them, Christ works powerfully through them to build up and bless his church. We need women like Phoebe, strong, capable leaders with a servant heart committed to Christ his mission, and his church. And we have such women among us. And again, we ought to honor them. We ought to honor them. So in closing, Romans encourages us to live as family. It encourages us to honor one another because we are family in Christ. Uh, and by that, we honor Christ in us and in our midst. How we live and how we create, uh, how we walk with one another has the power to proclaim the power of the gospel to a world that's desperately in need, not just through words, but in a way that can transform lives and transform how we live together. And so apostles, let's live as a loving family in Christ. Let's live as those who honor one another in Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.